Would you open God's word with me today? Our passage for today is found in Luke chapter 10. Very familiar passage. Um, I pray that um, in the familiarity we wouldn't um, miss what God wanted to say today. Luke chapter 10, um, verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. If you don't have your Bible with you, um, I invite you to look around. Probably not too far away is a Maroon Pew Bible. And, and our passage today can be found, I believe, on page 869. I say I believe because I think I sent to Carol the wrong version of the bulletin, as you might have noticed or you will notice in the songs. Um, is that right? 869? Okay, that's great. Uh, join, uh, follow with me, would you, as I, um, as I read God's Word today. Now, as they were on their way, meaning the disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, and he uses her name twice, that intensification. He says, do not miss this. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and that will not be taken away from her. This is the very word of God. Well, there's been so much. You have studied this passage probably many times. There might be some in our midst who are hearing it for the first time. And so forgive me, but I want to give you just a little bit of background on that. The town that they were, um, that they were entering was just over the hill from Jerusalem. And, and so it's probably less than two miles from Jerusalem. And so it was the entry point uh, between uh, Galilee, where Jesus spent much of the three years of his ministry, and Jerusalem. And you'll recall that, that um, every man in the Jewish faith was required to come to Jerusalem at least three times a year. So three times a year, no matter where they lived in, in Israel, they made their way to uh, Jerusalem, And so you can imagine that there was this great migration six times a year to the festival and then back home from the festival. And they didn't have Motel 6s. They didn't have Holiday Inns. And so people would stay in different people's homes. And oftentimes, if their personalities clicked, they would, they would make a regular pattern of that. They would stay with them over and over again. And I think there's something that like that happening here, that Jesus has stayed with uh, with Martha and, and Mary and their pretty famous brother, Lazarus, right? Uh, several times, he'll stay with them several more times. They will have a front row seat on some of the most spectacular miracles of Jesus. Um, but I, what I said earlier, what I love about Scripture is it's so real, right? Um, God loves us and accepts us exactly like we are, invites us into deeper understanding of who he is and who we can be in him. But, but the reality is, is exactly like we are, sometimes has problems, right? And that was a little bit true 
for Martha. Now, I want to say again, too, that Martha kind of gets a bad rap. And you might be tempted to think in this story, this is bad and this is good. And that would be a false way of approaching the scripture, I think, because Jesus is all about servanthood, right? He said the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to serve and to seek and save the lost, right? So Jesus is not not saying there's there's good things to do and bad things to do. He's saying uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring your heart out into the open, and I'm gonna diagnose your heart and and try and speak into your heart the one thing that will help you, Martha, that will help you, Mary, that will help you, rich young ruler, that will help you. Um, lean into the path that I have for you. Let me just say that this passage is in context. If you look just back, if you have a Bible that has chapter headings on it, you'll see that that, um, at the beginning of Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 72. He's already sent out the 12. Uh, He sent out the 72 and and they returned in verse 17 with joy. They just had a phenomenal experience of God using them as they served him. But, but watching these disciples return, uh, uh, um, a religious person, a lawyer, don't think necessarily just like one of our lawyers, but a religious lawyer, someone who's well-versed in the law, in verse 25 of chapter 10, puts Jesus to the test in that very familiar passage. And it's in here in Luke, he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other gospels, he says, what one thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus speaks those words that that Christian just challenged us to again. He says to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and he, he, he pops that amazing question, who then is my neighbor? Who shall I serve? And you get the amazing story of, of the Good Samaritan. And don't miss that, that, that your neighbor, yes, is your people that are close to you, but it's also people that are close to you that are not like you. And it's also people who are part of this global community we call our world and, and might be people who are unlike you and even hostile to you. And he gives that amazing story of the Good Samaritan and challenges us to do that as well. So then, that's the context as we come to our passage today. And Jesus, Jesus speaks to uh, Martha and says, one thing is necessary. One thing. And Mary has chosen the good portion and that will not be taken from her. What is, what is he saying here? Is it, is it sitting versus serving? Is it, is it worshiping versus um, caring like, the, like the, good, the good Samaritan? What is that one thing? Let me give you a working uh, uh, guess at this. I know you're tempted, like, uh, like the movie City Slickers, to think each of us has to find that one thing. I don't think that that's true. I think that God's word gives us what that one thing is. And I want to test one with you and drive it with you today. And, and then you, you can make that evaluation. You test it against God's word to see whether you think that I'm true. I'm going to suggest to you that that one thing is not serving versus sitting, though both can be expressions of it. That one thing is intimacy with God. Intimacy 
with God. You've heard that word from me so many times. It is to know and be known, to love and be loved, right? To celebrate worship and to be celebrated, to be cared for. It's intimacy with God. So the question comes for us, if that's true, and borrow that for a second, if, if, if uh, I'm not misreading this, if Jesus wasn't condemning people who work, if that were true, then no one would ever eat, right? Um, he's not condemning those who serve. He's, he's saying there's another problem there. There's another problem. We'll pick that up in just a moment. If that's true, that it's intimacy with God, if God wants to know us, he wants to be in us, <clears throat> he wants to transform our minds, pardon me, <clears throat> he wants to to uh, change what we do with our hands. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we, how do we cultivate that kind of intimacy? And I think that in, in Luke chapter 10, he gives us some clear ideas. Again, they're very familiar. I'm trying to put together pieces of this puzzle that you already are familiar with, you already have on your tabletop. How do we cultivate this intimacy with God? And again, uh, the great commandment, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God. So, so he's, he's given us that in this context. He's given us, how can we do this? And, and, and the question for us is then, what does that look like? What does it look like to um, love the Lord our God? And, and right here we have two sterling examples of what that looks like. First of all, listen at his feet. Listen at his feet. There's lots of things out there that you can listen to, many of them with a, with a Christian packaging and stuff like that. But, but the voice that you need to hear is the Lord's voice. Amen? Um, and, and what Mary modeled, what Martha was struggling with, but what Mary modeled was this ability to recognize at the right time, this is time to listen right now, not time to be busy. This is a time to listen. And, and we've challenged you to, to set apart a day for the Lord. One day a week, you're going, that's just phenomenal. Are you kidding me? I'm, uh, I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. Set apart the day. Most Christians set apart the Lord's Day for that. For me, um, I actually, uh, it has been Tuesday. It's just switching this week to Thursday. I set apart a different day so that I can totally give it to the Lord. I wish that I weren't anxious about bringing the Word of God to you, but I am. And it colors my preparation so so i set apart a different day where i can do that but set apart a day if you can be the lord's day that is awesome that is wonderful because you'll be joined by so many other people but listen at his feet Uh, immediately following our passage you see the see the titles in your book what's the title on chapter 11 the lord's prayer immediately following our passage he gives us another uh, a great clue about how we can cultivate intimacy with God. I'm going to say, learn to pray. But what I really mean there is start talking with God. Right? We, we, we picked up the first part of that conversation in listening at his feet. But God cares about the desires of your heart. He care, Actually, he cares about what's in your heart. Have you ever read the Psalms? I mean, it can be nasty stuff. And he knows there's nasty stuff in there, but he wants you to speak it. He wants you to speak it to him. I don't know how many times I've been mad at God. Mad at him. And, and I doubted his 
love and faithfulness to me. And I'm so grateful that his shoulders are so broad. He, he could take that. In fact, I believe he invites it. He knows it's in there. He invites it. He wants me to talk about it. There have been other times where I was so excited about him that I came up out of my chair in my office upstairs or, or times when I was when backpacking or skiing or something and I just so overwhelmed with the glory of God's creation that that I, I just could not not express that he wants to hear those two. And if, if you're a little bit like me, that you're emotionally constipated or a frozen chosen, then, then, then the Psalms are such a way to using other people's words to, to begin to let those emotions come out, to begin to talk those things out. Jesus gives us, and you're very familiar with it, he gives us a great um, uh, example in the Lord's Prayer. It's not the magic of the rote expression of it. It's, it's, a, it's a model of how you can talk to God. But you can also talk to God just about the things of your heart. The Psalms are a prayer book. The Psalms are God's gift to you. Learn how to pray. Risk it. Risk it. Um, it might be that you need to focus more on the prayer closet, being away from people and praying about the things that are near and dear to your heart. Or it might be at the point where God is asking you to lead your family or your friends into a deeper experience of his love by praying out loud with them. The, the invitation is just simply to deepen your experience of prayer. And I want to invite you to do that and invite you to use your Sabbath to do that, to use the Lord's Day to do that. Then as Chad challenged us last week, I want to just remind us that, that we not only listen at his feet and learn to pray, but we, we need to lead like Jesus. We need to lead in the places that God has put us, our families, our, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our, our community of faith. We need to risk passing on the experiences, the trials and the joys, the hopes and the fears, the, the truth in love that God has entrusted to us, we need to, to, um, to lead other people into those truths as well. And, and Chad challenged us to some simple ways to do that with our family. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to challenge you to start expanding that circle into your neighborhood and into your workplace. But begin with your family. But focus especially. I I'm, guess I'm, I'm freestyling here for a second. But I've noticed that we always gravitate to the people that we're most comfortable with. That's what I love, Kristen, about how your strategy with your, um, with your volunteer teams is that you always have them look to a generation below them. Uh, there's some automatic credibility. I understand some of the reasons that you do that. There's automatic credibility. These are people who've gone before and they have something. They wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable uh, leading adults, but they feel comfortable leading uh, students who are younger than them. But the principle that's behind that is so powerful is that everybody has somebody that they can pour their life into. And I call it the next generation, but it might not be a 20-year generation. It might be the next class generation, the next school generation. It might be the, the next person who's coming behind you in your workplace. Pass on those things. Lead uh, the next generation as well. Uh, always be looking to, to replace yourself so that God can open doors to new ministries for you as well. Lead the next generation and trust the 
the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So love the Lord. Listen to, listen to his feet. Learn to pray. Lead like Jesus. But, but then you saw it clearly. And the radical thing Jesus did for that rich young ruler was, excuse me, for that lawyer, was to, um, to challenge him also, in addition to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and right before our passage, he just did a deep, a deep teaching on how to love your neighbor. Love the person who is wounded before you, no matter what the color of their skin, no matter what their gender is, no matter what their tribe or tongue. Love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty exciting. Are you, are you as um, into the Olympics as I am? Are there some addicts out there? I know that not everybody is. Um, um, but, but with like seven channels all covering different things. Um, I, I'm, I'm just going like this and going through that stuff. And I'm, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I'm watching things that, that I don't care about. And I'm totally into it. I'm totally into it. And, and, and I cry when the national anthem is played. And I, and I see the amazing joy on someone's face that... That something was accomplished. But one of the really cool things that's happening in the Olympics is that I know I know it hasn't been perfect, but but all those other barriers go away, right? And and, it, and they've gone away to such an extent that when they show up, uh, like a, a, a somebody not letting someone on a bus because of of their race or religious beliefs, or when those things they seem so out of place, they seem so ridiculous. Everyone goes, "What's the deal here?" You know. When you see uh, sworn enemies, uh, historic enemies, giving each other hugs and holding each other's hands after a fierce competition, um, there's just something that's really cool about that. And I have to tell you, the one of the ones that just has really struck me is, um, now her name just jumped right out of my head, Simone Manuel. I think I first um, became aware, uh, it didn't matter to me that she, Obviously, she was running a women's race and that she was, has an African-American background. I, I didn't notice that at, at, at first. She, people had brought it up. But what, what I just noticed was the extreme joy on her face. You know, when, when un, got a little bit unexpectedly, and then she proved it again and again, even last night. Um, uh, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter and Jesus picks up on this here. Don't miss the fact of who is sitting at... You know the story so well that you probably missed it. There is a woman sitting at Jesus' feet, right? And you're thinking, what? what? You going misogynist on me, Pastor Dave? What are you talking about? You're used to that. They were not used to that. That was a radical thing. Jesus would make an amazing declaration there, as amazing as the one in the previous verses when he, he said the Good Samaritan... The enemy was the good person here. And now he's saying, this woman should sit here and learn at my feet. And Luke was so good at noting how many times Jesus just broke down barriers. He broke down barriers. That just makes it so ridiculous, doesn't it? When we put up artificial barriers, whether they're gender barriers or political barriers, when we put up artificial barriers... Now, some of you keep waiting for me to go to the next line, don't you? You keep waiting for me to talk about transgender or something like that. I'm not, there's, I understand that, that there are things that we do that the Bible calls sin, which hurt our relationship with God and hurt our relationship with other things. Gender is not one of them. 
Race is not one of them. Color of our skin is not one of them. Uh, and Jesus just celebrated that. And I just want to challenge you, especially in the heat of this political uh, environment we find ourselves in right now, do not, do not get caught up in that and start to judge and hate people just because they're different than you. I do love uh, the guy, whoever the sign person is down at Oak Hill Baptist. It's just really good. He said, when, what do you say? When, when the elephant and the donkey fail you, try the lamb, right? <laughs> try the lamb. Uh, he wasn't talking about dinner. Don't go there, okay? He, he, was, he, was, he was talking about politics, that there's something that transcends politics, and Jesus is inviting us onto that, into that right here as well. Will we face obstacle? Absolutely. Now, there's myriad obstacles, but Jesus actually identifies several of them here. Uh, one of them I didn't put in my notes, and it, it occurred to me even again as I was reading the Scripture just a moment ago, um, um, in our, in our scripture, what obstacles might we face? The first one is distraction, right? Um, in verse 40 of chapter 10, it's not in your notes, but, but it says, Martha was distracted with much serving. Isn't that ironic? That in the attempt to serve Jesus, she was distracted from Jesus. But then Jesus goes on further and brings up a couple more. In, in the ESV, he uses the word anxious. Other Bibles uh, uh, translate the word worry. Martha, Martha, you are anxious or worried about many things. And we've explored that together, but, but, um, but worry is the enemy, right, uh, of, of faith. Um, just before uh, our other memory verse passage for today, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus spends a whole huge portion of the Sermon on the Mount saying, don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll drink. Don't worry about what you'll wear. Don't worry. Be happy. No, he didn't say that. He says, don't worry, right? Worry is the enemy of trust. And anxiety, as we've explored it together, is just once you worry long enough that pretty soon then you, the worry becomes disassociated from whatever caused it, and you just are anxious, period. And, and many of us have gotten to that place. We've spent so much of our lives worrying. He says, Martha, Martha, Dave, Dave, you're worried about many things. You're worried about many things. That's an obstacle to overcome. Does it take faith to not worry about them? Yes. It takes amazing faith that God has got this, that God is sovereign and in control. But um, for Jesus, he was identifying in this situation distraction for Martha and also worry. And then he, and then he um, goes further and says, you are anxious or worried and troubled. There's that same word we've seen in the Gospel of John before. You are stirred up. You're agitated, right? You're agitated. And, and you might not even know why you're agitated. Um, I have found myself in that situation um, many times. Honestly, particularly as I've gotten older, that I find myself stirred up, and the thing that I'm stirred up about, I can't even identify, and so I express that agitation, particularly to people that are closest to me, and I love, and express that agitation to them. And, um, and so Jesus says, you are worried about many things, and you're stirred up about many things. What was the many thing du jour? It was that Martha, or excuse me, that Mary wasn't helping her with dinner. And you're going, come on, come on, isn't that pretty petty? Well, (laughs) 
don't have to look very far, do we, in our own lives to see a similar pettiness in the things that we get agitated about or stirred up and troubled about. And that kind of brings up this last one. It's a fourth one, even though it's showing up as three on this. Um, Comparing myself with others. It wasn't just that she was so busy serving, but that she was upset that, that the person next to her wasn't working in the way that she thought she should be working. Right? Um, when we compare ourselves, one wise person said, with others, we are not wise. Right? We compare ourselves by ourselves and with others, and we are not wise. Um, Jesus is, is inviting us to not have the measure of, of uh, our activity be based on the people around us and what they're doing or not doing. What is it that kills a runner uh, in the last uh, 10 meters of their dash? What, what is it that kills them? What is it that kills a swimmer in the last 10 meters of their, of their race, right? If they do what? Yeah, if they look, if they look and try and see what other people are doing. Mary's race is different than Martha's race. And Martha got this. By the way, if you're tempted for a moment to believe that Jesus was condemning her, he was not. And we see this in John chapter 12 when Jesus is once again at her house. And Martha, guess what Martha's doing? Martha's not sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it's totally right. That wasn't her call. Her call was to serve. And she's serving without looking at what Mary is doing. And so there will be obstacles to, to your life of discipleship. There will be obstacles to cultivating intimacy with, with God. Um, but Jesus calls them out and then gently invites you, gently invites you to leave them behind. So where can we start? Where can we start in cultivating right relationships, righteousness with other people, and intimacy with God. We, we challenged you a couple of weeks ago, just start by being still. Again, find that place daily, daily. One of the busiest days of Jesus' life, he still took time to, to get up before dawn and, and spend time with his heavenly Father. This is the Son of God. It makes sense that if the Son of God had to do that, had to quiet his heart, had to find a quiet place, then it makes sense that we would as well be still and know that he is God. Psalm, uh, Psalm for some reason I want to say 37, 4, that's not right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, be still and know that he is God. Um, so, so plan it in your day, in your week. I want to encourage you... Um, uh, you guys are very gracious. You give me a study leave. Karen and I are going to take a week and and just go and be together. And in October, we're just going to we're going to we, we're calendaring time to to get apart and be still before the Lord. Invite you to do that. But lastly, I just really want to invite you to hear Jesus' powerful words. One thing is necessary. You've got to put the first things first, right? Why? Because if you don't put first things first, then then life just fills up. Am I making that up? Am I making that up? Life just fills up. Many, many years ago, there was just a fabulous example of that. Um, 
I'm not sure if um, Stephen Covey originated it or not, but I just want to leave you with that, that powerful visual. Many of you saw it. I discovered in my own family that many people had not seen it before. But if your challenge, if this is your life, and your challenge is to get all the things that you want in your life, the, um, the, the small things, get the small things in your life in there. Um, the very small things, I'm using sand to, um, to do that. But to also um, get the important things in, what strategy do you use to do that? Again, I just challenged you. Um, put, make the first things first. But I want to show you what happens if you don't. And I, I did not experiment with this, so we'll see if we make this or not. If you put the small things in first, if you put all the, the urgent things that cry out for your attention first in your life, then, um, then your jar gets pretty full pretty fast. Amen? And, um, and then as you add the things that are, are so much more important... Um, family, as you add, um, as you add your many uh, church responsibilities, as you as you add uh, loving and opening your doors to your neighbor, as as you add all those other things that are that are really important, your life starts to fill up pretty fast, right? And and yeah, you can still add in some little things along the way and still squeeze them out. But what happens then when you come? When you come to your faith, when you come to intimacy with God, when you come to that, that cornerstone, which should be the thing that guides all, all other things, what happens when you try then at that level and add Christ and intimacy with God into your life? You cannot do it. You cannot do it. Well, you know how this turns out, don't you? Um, the trick is not to add Intimacy with God lasts. The trick is, I could dump this out and make a big mess on the table and redo this again, but I think you get the picture. If I put the intimacy with God in first, and then I think about what's next in importance to that, and I put things like my family and my faith community and those things around it, um, if I then put the smaller things in life, if I make first things first, everything fits in the jar. You can. And, and Jesus put it differently. Worship team, come on up if you would. Jesus put it differently. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and, and we know that that righteousness is, yes, it's the action that Christ has done on our behalf, dying on our behalf, but it's also right relationship with him. Put right relationship with Jesus first in your life and all these other things. Sports, um, marriage, all these other things will be added to it. So I just really want to invite you to make room for Jesus in your life. It might mean um, taking an honest look at all the rocks in your life, the big ones and the little ones. It might be sitting down with people that know you and love you and saying, um, what, what do I need to redo in my life? What do I need to put in first? How can you pray for me and help me do that? And then as with a council of your loved ones and people that 
that um, you've invited into your life, um, just maybe God will allow you to make room in your life for everything that your heart desires. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you don't have an ounce of condemnation in you. One day there will be a judgment. One day we will come before you. And, and uh, Father, if we weren't able to hear and put into practice the things that we know now, then uh, we will hear you say, depart from me, I never knew you. But God, thank you that we're not there. Thank you that, that today we can make this choice to put you first, Jesus. You're my king to put you first and then to put your kingdom first, to, to, to believe what you say and to trust that loving you and then loving my neighbor is the path that you've set apart for me. God, thank you that I can begin doing that right now. Right now. God, where there is worry and anxiety and distraction and troubled spirit, where, God, we've been comparing ourselves with other people rather than looking to you. God, I I just pray that you'd wash all those things away. In the light of your presence, grant us a new beginning today. We trust you, Jesus Christ. You are our only sovereign Lord. And we trust your word. And we covenant with you to put it into practice so that day by day we might become more like you, Jesus. Day by day our lives might reflect holiness. Day by day our lives might reflect faithfulness. Jesus, should you allow day by day our lives might reflect those right relationships that, that form righteousness in us. Now we love you, Jesus. Even as we worship you, we invite you to, to, to transform our hearts, transform our desires, to make us like you. We ask in Christ's name.